0: home from my first trip to Africa, I'd never been so aware of the spiritual world and particularly how the spiritual world was colliding with the physical world that I was living in on a daily basis. I I, I remember being over there and a young man was brought to us in his 20s, a tall man. Young man, much taller than most Malawians. And he was brought to us as someone they said, he's possessed of a demon. And he was brought to me and a few other pastors, and we were in a back room and we prayed for this young man. There was a young girl who was very, very sick, and they had tried everything they knew to do, and they asked us, me and a few others, to pray for this young girl, and we prayed for her. And we saw God do powerful, wondrous works there. She didn't immediately get healed, but we, but when we just went back this year, we saw her, she's graduated from high school. And, and so we were in, in Malawi and seeing God work in marvelous and powerful ways, I was utterly amazed at the work of God. I'll never forget coming back to the United States The first news report I heard, and, you know, we landed back in the States, the place where demons aren't everywhere, where the devil is not at work, the way that we were hearing over in Africa, because we can figure out things here through medicine, through science. We know what's going on. So we're not in this place where demonic forces are everywhere. And I remember that first news report. The report was a young woman in Camden had murdered her two young children and then had committed suicide. I was utterly amazed at the blindness of our culture. What did you wake up to today? Maybe some of you woke up and it was 5.30 in the morning and you were so mad. I can't get back to sleep. I wanted to sleep in on Sunday. You were just mad about that. Maybe some of you woke up if you 're a sports fan, just happy because Golden Tate is now on the eagles and and they and, and Uh, what's his name, Jimmy Butler is now going to be on the Sixers and it's looking good for your sports team. Maybe you were excited about that. Maybe you woke up and you were struggling because of some relational difficulties in your life. Maybe if you're a student, you woke up and you said, oh my gosh, I am so far behind on what I need to do for my courses, I'm in trouble. However you woke up today, let me say one thing that you need to realize. However you woke up, you need to know that whether you were feeling great ...or horrible, whether you were up or down, whether you were psyched or feeling like a psycho... ...you woke up in an intense spiritual battle that categorizes every single day of your life. And the reality is that most Christians in the West have no idea about this. Our brothers and sisters who are charismatic and Pentecostal tend to have a better idea... ...than those who call themselves Reformed Christians... They they tend to have a little more idea of this. But here's the reality. If you are in a war against an enemy that you don't even recognize, you are a casualty waiting to happen. Most believers in the majority world, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and in the 1040 window, understand that the unseen realm is colliding with what they can see every day. Minute of every hour of every second of every day, and yet we miss it. Well, what does the Bible have to say about this? I think it has a lot to say about this collision of spiritual and physical realms. So let's stand together for a moment as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. We'll look at a few verses today, verses 10. Through 13. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13. Read along with me. And this is in the ESV. I switched it up on y'all today. This is ESV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I'm going to talk to you from the subject of a call to war. Whether we know it or not, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been drafted into God's army. And every single day, you are on that battlefield. Let's pray. Father God, be with us in the coming moments as we examine your word and what it is that you want to say to your people Lord, I pray that if we are somehow blinded to the attack and the work of the enemy, that you will open our eyes to see what he is doing. And Lord, if we're somehow intimidated, that that would not be the case. Our God has won the victory. Be with us now and use this time for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Ephesians is... A different type of letter that Paul wrote to the church. If you open to Ephesians 1, you'll find that it says it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but most biblical scholars agree that uh, unlike many other of his letters, it was intended not just for the church in Ephesus, but it was intended as a letter that would be sent to all of the churches in what was called asia minor what would be modern day turkey all these churches that paul had planted and others had planted churches like uh colossae and the the book of colossians was written at about the same time as ephesians by paul from a roman prison and was written to combat uh, specific types of heresies and false teachings and things that were going on in that church many of Paul's letters were written to deal with specific issues, heresies, problems going on in the churches. Ephesians is different because he's not dealing with any of those specific types of things, but what he's dealing with in Ephesians is he's laying out the gospel in a particular way. So when you look through the first half of the book of Ephesians, he starts in the heavenly places before the foundation of the world, and what Christ does For his people, he calls a people aside for himself to make them his children. He adopts them into his family. As you get into chapter two, he talks about how that actually happens that the fact that we were far off from God, we were trespassers of God, we were without hope in the world. But I love the phrase he says, but God in the midst of our rebellion, comes and rescues us, not by our works, not by our faithfulness, but by faith in the the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 2 and into chapter 3 to talk about how God has now revealed this great new mystery. He had talked about it in the Old Testament, but folks just didn't get it. But now he has revealed this mystery, the church One church, Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are one people under one Lord and one Savior. And so he lays out this great gospel. And then in the second half of the book, he begins to tell us how to walk out this gospel. It's almost like God is saying, yo, I told you what I did. Now I'm telling you what you should do. Amen. If God said, yo, if he was from Philly, he'd probably say that that way. But, but here we go. So in the second half, he's giving us a moral frame, framework for living. How do we live in relation to one another? How do husbands and wives live? How do we raise children? How do we uh, work in our employment situations? How do we deal with the things that we have in the world? He begins to get really practical in all of these things. And so all of these things are going on. And then we come to the end of the book that we're just looking at the first part of it in chapter 6. And he brings us back in these verses to see exactly how that spiritual world that he talked about in the first half, and then the practical living and walking this thing out world that we're living in today, how those collide. And so Paul comes here, and there's three basic things we'll look at today. Number one, in this call to war, it's a call to strengthen Number two, it's a call to strategize. And then thirdly, a call to stand. So let's look at each one of those, starting with a call to strengthen. Verse 10 and 11 say this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul is summing up his letter. He starts with this word finally he's told us all that god has done how we should live this thing out and now he's saying finally it's like he's saying to us i need you to listen real close right now i need you to hear what i'm saying because i've told you what god has done i've told you what you need to do now i'm going to tell you how it is that you can actually do it because you're not going to make it by your might or by your power there's another way that i'm telling you to do this and he says in this verse, finally, be strong in the Lord. That, that's, that phrase can be so easy for us to hear, but we can miss the understanding of that phrase. It's a very strange form of a verb that is used there where it says, be strong. That verb is an imperative. Most of you know what that means. It means it's a command of God. It's not You know, it might be a good idea if you'd like to maybe be strong. No, it's be strong. It's a command to be strong. In Greek, it's in what's called the present tense, and that is different from our present tense. The Greek present tense means do it over and over and over again. Not just be strong once, but keep on being strong. It's the same form that's used in chapter 5 when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not like I got filled with the Holy Spirit in 1982 and I'm good. No, be filled over and over and over again. Be being filled. That's bad English, but that's a good lifestyle. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here he's saying, keep on being strong. But now here's the weird part of this verb. It's bizarro world here. It is in the passive voice. it's, It's passive. And so he's giving you a command to do something. He's telling you to do it over and over again. But the passive voice means you can't actively do it yourself. He's saying you need to be strong and you need to do it over and over again. But brother, but sister, you can't do it by yourself. It's passive. And he says, be strong in the Lord. I love that. When when you're looking at Scripture, you need to sometimes look at the little words, little prepositional phrases, where he says, be strong in the Lord. That little word, in, you look it up in a Greek lexicon, has 12 different possible meanings. But in this particular case, it's what grammarians would call a marker of agency. In other words, what that means is that you are to be strong In and by the only one who is able to make you strong, and that is the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is put yourself consistently in the position before God where he can give you his strength. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, you'll never do that if you think that your strength is enough. God is letting you and I know that we don't have the strength to fight this battle. Listen, some of you have heard of Mike Tyson. Who's heard of Mike Tyson? Or Mike. He was a pretty tough dude back in the day. But, but listen, if, if I got a little ticked off at Mike Tyson and I said, you know what, Mike, I got to tell you, you, you said something. It rubbed me the wrong way. We, we, we got to get in the ring. We got to duke this thing out. I hope y'all would be praying for me on many levels if I did that with Mike Tyson. But listen, I can put on some boxing shorts, and I can put on some gloves, and I have fairly long arms. So come on, Mike, bring it on. Listen, if I go in the ring with Iron Mike Tyson, there's no way of avoiding the fact that I'm going to have a majorly traumatic, horrific beatdown. You know that's going to happen. But here's the reality. You think you can wage war in the spiritual realm in your own strength? Really? I have a better chance to beat Mike than you do against the devil. A much better chance because, after all, we're still fighting with the same weapons. He has physical strength. I have physical strength. Right? He's got skill. I got skill. Maybe I have skills Mike doesn't know about. Maybe I get in a lucky punch. I mean look at these guns anyway so Mike, Mike just might be in trouble and he doesn't even know it but listen when we are fighting in the spiritual realm we are fighting against a whole different class of weapons and you don't have a shot and too often we are lulled into this sense of security that I can fight this battle on my own but you can't you're going to lose so how do you know when you're fighting in your own strength let me look at Three things that should tell us you're fighting in your own strength. First of all, your prayer life is anemic. It looks more like the Dunkin' Donuts drive through than the contemplative life of Jesus. That's strike one. Your prayer life is kind of a drive through Yeah, I pray, and I pray like this, but there's no real contemplative life of getting it in with God where you are pouring out your soul to the living God of the universe and listening for his response. What I found out many years ago, I remember being in seminary, and in seminary you're studying all this stuff, you're studying languages, you're studying theology, you're studying history, and I'm studying all these things and I'm giving myself to my studies and I noticed that my prayer life was negligible. And what I what I realized for me is that my confidence was in my study my confidence was in what I knew my confidence was in all that I could get but my confidence was no longer in the god of the universe and that put me in harm's way Listen your prayer life tells on you When we pray we are saying god I can't do it if you don't show up I'm in trouble And so that's the first sign your prayer life is anemic the second sign is this You don't have time for Bible study. If you read your Bible at all, it's more out of Christian duty and you don't bother to dig in and really understand what you're reading. God has given us his word. God has given us in this country access to his word. No one's going to take it away from you. It's right there for you. And if you neglect his word, you neglect his word to your own hurt. God gives us his word so he calls us to know him through his word. If you're not studying the word, that's strike two. And number three, the third sign is that you're not all that upset about your own sin. We love to get mad about other people's sin. We love to talk, in whether that's in politics or whether wherever else it is, we get mad at all kinds of other things. But you're in trouble and you're working from your own strength when you're not all that upset about your own sin after all god knows i'm human so he won't be that mad at me listen it's not about god being mad at you if you're his child he's not mad at you he loves you but the question is if you can go on in your christian life not being upset about your own sin it's telling on you that you're confident enough in yourself and your life is not about pleasing the lord who has bought your soul So God calls us to this place of understanding that we need Him desperately. Where we are clothed with the power of God is when we realize the reality of our union with Him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, He says, He chose us in Him. In verse 7, He says, In Him we have redemption. In verse 11, He says, he says, in him, we've received an inheritance. In verse 13, he says, in him, when you heard the word of truth, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. Every benefit you receive in this life is because of your relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that you are in him. So that makes sense for us of verse 11 of Ephesians 6, where he says, He says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. What is he saying when he says put on the full armor of God? We're not going to look at all the different parts of the armor today, but what he's saying is put on Jesus Christ as a garment. Put on Jesus Christ. Now, some of you know me a little bit better than others. I'm getting to know more of you, but if you know me a little bit, you know I know nothing about fashion. I mean, I'm just the average white guy in a dashiki. That's all I am right now. But but I don't know anything about fashion at all. So what the Bible is telling you is put on Jesus Christ, not Gucci, not Supreme, not Moschino, not Louis Vuitton, not Adidas. God is saying put on Jesus. Let that be what clothes you. Wear Jesus. Only as we put on Jesus. Jesus and recognize consciously that we are in union with him are we strengthened in the power of his might and not our own listen if you're going to succeed in different things in life you've got to wear the right gear if you're ready to get out on the football field and you don't have your helmet and your shoulder pads and the rest of your stuff on you're in trouble so if someone says we're about to play football get ready and come out out to the football field but like 95 percent of the world they think football is what we call soccer and they're in their soccer gear and they get out on the american football field they're going to be in trouble there's going to be some collisions there's going to be some broken bones there's going to be problems because they don't have the helmet on their head you know in in nfl and in college and even in high school The helmet-to-helmet contact, we're saying that shouldn't happen anymore because when you hit someone with the helmet going at that speed, it's easy to get a concussion. But imagine if someone's coming at you at full speed, they have the helmet on, you don't, what happens to your head? It's crushed. You crack your skull. When we clothe ourselves in Christ, we're putting on the right clothing so that we can withstand any impact that the devil gives us any impact of every spiritual force because we are clothed in the lord jesus christ the bible is telling us in these verses that you cannot whip the devil but jesus can not only can jesus but jesus will not only will jesus but jesus already has so strengthen yourselves as believers by putting on jesus christ that's the first part of the call Strengthen yourself in the mighty power of Jesus, but you need to know who and what you're up against. So that's the second part of the call, the call to strategize. This is to know exactly the character of the enemy who is about to fight you. I don't know about any of you, but I am still like living off the glory of last February when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Amen? Uh, Carson Wentz was leading us in worship today. Um, but I'm still living off the joy of that with our football team. But but here you go. Um, some of you may have heard what happened the day before the Super Bowl. The Eagles did their run-through practice like every team does before every game. And so that's when you go in slow motion through all the plays that you're going to run the next day so that every player knows exactly where I need to be on that play. You run through your plays. But what the Eagles did is they didn't run through the plays that they were going to do in the Super Bowl game. They ran through other plays because they knew the reputation of their enemies, the Patriots. They spy on your plays. They got a little camera somewhere. They're checking it out so that when they actually ran their plays on Super Bowl Sunday, even if they had done that, they spied the wrong plays. You got to know what you're up against. You got to know your enemy. Look at verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me stop right there, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The Greek word there for schemes is a word that we get our word method from. It means crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. So that is and has been the devil's modus operandi from the beginning. He schemes against the people of God. So look with me for a moment at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 3, and then verses 13 and 14. I don't know if we have that for the board. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3, and then 13 and 14. It reads like this. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ verse 3 but i am afraid that the serpent that as the serpent deceived eve by his cunning your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ and then verse 13 and 14 paul says for such men are false apostles deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ verse 14 no wonder For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Listen, Satan has always been a deceitful schemer. So what we need to begin to understand are what are his specific schemes in my life. You need to know how is he scheming in my life. When when he leaves you defeated, discouraged, and discontent time after time, that is the scheming of the enemy. It could be through seemingly uncontrollable addictions that leaves you defeated. That's a scheme. It could be through unresolved past trauma that always leaves you discouraged. That's a scheme. It could be through comparison with others that consistently leaves you discontent. That's a scheme. You need to know... What the schemes of the enemy are in your life that lead to a consistent pattern of defeat, discouragement, and discontent. Reality is you won't be able to see all of those in your life. That's why we need Christian community. We need others around us who can help us to see what we can't see about our own lives. To see what those schemes are. The Bible says... When you understand those schemes, don't let him in. Take a stand against it. And verse 12 unpacks for us exactly who this enemy is and who it is not. Look at verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He starts by telling us who the enemy is not. It's not flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, this is where we miss it time after time after time. Listen, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. Paul's writing this as a Jewish man who was converted to Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel of Christ, but he was turned on by his own Jewish countrymen who said, we can't have any more of this Jesus stuff out of the mouth of Paul. Let's put him away. He's turned on by his own people. If someone had a reason to be mad against flesh and blood, it was Paul. Not only the Jews, but also the Roman Empire is willing to go along with this. They have the power to stop, to stop it and say, let him go. He's just talking religion. But they don't do that. They imprison him, they put him in stocks and in chains. If someone has a reason to be angry against flesh and blood, Paul has a reason, but he understands this thing is not about flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, too often we get stopped on flesh and blood. That's not where the problem is. We need to understand that there are other things at work here more than flesh and blood. When you misdiagnose the problem, you'll always use the wrong remedy. When you misdiagnose the problem, when you think it's your spouse, when you think it's your boss, your neighbor, your friend, your competitor, even your frenemy, whatever that is, that that when that's the one who's against you, you will use the wrong tools in that war. Listen, if you've been married, how many married folks are here? If you've been married for over 37 seconds, you'll know what I'm talking about now. My wife has said to me on several occasions... I am not your enemy. Why would she say that to me? She would say that because she sees my sometimes childish, immature reaction because she won't agree with me and let me get my way. And because she's blocking my way, I see her as an enemy for a moment and she calls me out on it every time. Baby, I just wish you wouldn't do that no more. But thank God that she has done that and she will continue to do it. You got to know Harriet. She'll keep doing it. But, But the reality is I have misdiagnosed the enemy. She's not my enemy. She just has a different opinion on something and probably a better one, to be honest. But when we misdiagnose the problem, We always use the wrong remedy. Listen, what we do is we just use more of that remedy over and over again to get our way, but it doesn't work. You can get 15 flu shots this year if you want. That's not going to cure your bronchitis. It won't. You can take a two liter of Robitussin, but that's not going to heal your broken leg. Now, it may make you not care about your broken leg for a while, that's true, but it's not going to heal it. We get frustrated when our attempts to change people don't work and the problems just get worse. So what we do is we do the same thing more and harder and, and think the problem will get better, but the problem is that the real problem is not the problem that we thought was the problem, and that's a problem. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, if that's true, then what do we wrestle against? Paul lays it out for us in this verse. He says, first of all, we wrestle against the rulers. The word there is archos. It deals with supernatural power, having a particular role in controlling the destiny and activities of human beings. Power, authority, lordship, ruler, wicked force. The root of this word, archos means beginning. So the idea of this word is that it has to do with evil, supernatural authority that initiates activities to destroy human flourishing in the glory of God. We are dealing with rulers. Secondly, Scripture says we're dealing with authorities. The Greek word there is "exousias." It refers to the bearing or, or the bearer of ruling authority, transcendent rulers and functionaries, powers of the spirit world. And these powers which are seen as evil here are nevertheless subject to Jesus Christ. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Colossians 2 and 15. And that verse he says, Of Jesus Christ, he disarmed the rulers, that is the arkos that we just talked about. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the exousias, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is God telling us? That the arkos, the rulers, and the exousias are under the authority of the Christos. That Jesus Christ rules over every ruler. He has authority over every other authority. When we're in Christ, we're able to stand against the power of the wicked one. He goes on to say, not only the rulers and authorities, but next, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. This phrase uses a Greek word, kosmokratoros. Maybe you hear the first part of that word, cosmos which means world. And the second part, it's a compound Greek word. kreteo, means to seize or control something. So the idea of this word is something like being a world Caesar or a world ruler, someone who has power over a particular part of the world. They're world controllers. They use the infestation of sin in the world to do everything they can from keeping people ...from the light of Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, again, I am happy to tell you... ...that he does not have the final say. Jehovah has the final say. I I wish we could sing that song with that little Caribbean join to it, you know. Jehovah has the final say. I like that. (laughs) John 12, 31 puts it this way. Now the judgment... ...now is the judgment of this world... Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The enemy knows his end. We need to know his end as well. And then the final description we see here is this, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The word evil here is the same word that is used in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. It refers to a condition of a lack of moral or social values, wickedness, baseness, maliciousness, or sinfulness. Here's the idea of all of this. Who is this enemy? We are not in a war against human agency, but against evil spiritual forces. The idea is that we're a war against a power, an enemy that has instigating ruling power, who has high authority, Who operates in the power of sin and moral corruption. Who is spiritual, who is wicked, and who's not limited to this world. The African Bible commentary describes the enemies of God's people this way. The enemies are many. The enemies are powerful. The enemies are spiritual. And the enemies are everywhere. That should be sobering. But here's the good news. What scripture tells us is the enemies are no match for the power of Jesus Christ. And so we've seen the first part of the call is to strengthen, to clothe yourself with Christ. The second part is to strategize, to know who your enemy is and how he works, not just generally, but how does he work in your life? The third part is simply this, the call to stand. Verse 13 reads this way. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In verse 10, he told us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Here he's telling us to take up the full armor of God, to put on this armor. This is the language of war. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. We're not going to go into all the parts of that armor. That's more in this chapter. But he he is emphasizing the fact that every piece that he's going to lay out, you need to put on each and every piece. If you are exposed somewhere, the enemy will take advantage of that. Take advantage of that weak spot. So put on this Whole armor. And he says that why do this? So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? I'm going to propose to you that even though it's Sunday and even though you're at New Life Church, that today is the evil day. I'm going to propose to you as well that every today in your life is the evil day. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul says it this way. He says, pay careful attention then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. What does he mean by that? Every day, every today is an evil day. Why? It's an evil day because the evil one is planning evil things to work in an evil way in your life. The enemy is at work. Sisters and brothers, we don't get a day off from putting God's armor on. You can't take a day off. You don't chill for a little bit and just stay away from prayer and Bible study and Christian community and do a little vacation from God. I am embarrassed to talk about a vacation my wife and I took many, many years ago, early in our marriage. We had gone through a particularly difficult time and a season in ministry and in the church, and we were just, we just couldn't wait to get away from everyone and from everything and get away from the bills and get away from the house and get away from the city we lived in and get away from the church and get away from the Bible and get away from prayer and get away from everything and just do our own thing for a little while. I'm happy to tell you that was the worst vacation we ever had. It was a complete disaster. I can't remember all the exact things that happened, but we had in our mind, I just, prayer, Bible, all that, I'm just letting it go for a while, and the devil had a heyday. When you take a vacation from God, don't think that the enemy's taking a vacation from you. He never clocks out. He never clocks out. And so we need to press into God. The last part of this verse, he says, And having done all to stand firm. Having done all to stand firm. The idea of taking your stand and standing firm is, again, it is the language of war. In Matthew chapter 16, when Peter makes his great confession of faith, Jesus says to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock, the gates of hell, against this rock, the gates of hell cannot come against it the idea is that with the power of christ and the confession of faith the enemy cannot make progress and what paul is teaching us here is that we are in a place where we need to take a stand against the work of the enemy listen the enemy is your enemy satan and it's all his de- demonic powers are not necessarily interested in in getting you to go so far today, to go so far away from God, and to do something that's not even in your mind to do. He doesn't care about winning the whole war today. He'll just take any little piece you give him. Any little compromise you give him, one tiny step at a time leads to the next tiny step and the next tiny step. And it may take days, it may take weeks, it may take months, years, or decades, but at the end of that process, when I have not consistently taken my stand for Jesus, I am so far away from being able to witness and testify to the greatness of God in this world that I am a useless believer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a useless believer. So we're called here to take our stand. I have a homework assignment for you. That's right, I'm back to the homework stuff. You can get mad at me if you want, but please do your homework. Number one, write down one or two areas of your life where you know that the enemy is working along with your own flesh. Listen, the devil can't do anything to you or against you he can't make something look good to you that you don't like in the first place but our flesh does not love the things of god our flesh loves things that are against god and so write down an area that you know the enemy is working in your life to draw you away from god whatever that area is a big area what is it is it anger is it lust Whatever it is, some sort of idolatry. What is it? Number two, under each of those, write down a seemingly small area, the smallest area that you can think of, where you sometimes fail to make a stand. In other words, when the enemy comes, he gives you the smallest little way forward or allowing him in your life. And you allow him that small thing. Let, let me give you an example of it. I want to give an example of something that won't affect anyone here at New Life Church. So I wanted to make sure this is something no one at New Life has ever dealt with. So let me deal with, I'll give an example, say, of lust, okay? Something no one here has ever dealt with. So we know, and we'll be looking at this in a few weeks in Matthew's Gospel, that... Uh, lust with adultery, right? Um, And so there is that connection there. Uh, Jesus lays out that connection for us. But we need to look at not, not, not just that my issue is whatever the big thing is, adultery, but how do I allow lust to get a place in my heart? Where do I let it in? Where do I not take a stand against the enemy? What is the smallest thing? Is it A bad look? Looking too long at something or someone I shouldn't be looking at? Is it a flirtatious relationship that I can pass off as it's good, there's nothing wrong in this relationship, but I know there's something more to it? Now, what is it? So this is what I'm talking about. Looking at that smallest area where the enemy is calling you away from God and say, hang on a second, I'm taking a stand right here and right now for Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to do. Whatever that smallest area is for you, that area is your gateway drug. That is your little compromise. That is where you have an inability to make a stand, and that allows the enemy to get all the way in and do his damage. Brothers and sisters, God is able to help you take that stand and to make that stand. As I close, let me say this. To win this war, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never be strong enough by yourself. You need to strategize well by knowing exactly how your enemy works, not generally but specifically in your own life. And with all of this, you need to stand your ground against the enemy so that God will be glorified. Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin debt, but that's not all that he did on that cross. As we heard last week from Pastor Tim, he was raised on the third day with all power in his hands, and he sent his Holy Spirit so that you would be progressively set free From the bondage of sin, sin will no longer be your master. Christ is the master. I am convinced that our brothers and sisters in Africa, in Latin America, and in Asia know much better than we do what it means that evil forces of wickedness are all around us. But I hope that you leave today knowing that, but at the same time, not living in faith Fear because Jesus Christ has defeated all of those forces. Samuel Kunhiop, I have mentioned him before, a Nigerian theologian puts it this way. The Christian does not live as if there are no evil spirits or witches, but lives with the full conviction that the devil and his forces have been conquered. The joy of being a Christian is that our God is is sovereign over all evil forces. The clear teaching of of the scriptures is that the Christian has victory in Christ over witchcraft in all its forms. I want to close with Psalm 27, the first part of that psalm. It has blessed me, it has kept me over these last two weeks in my life of some very, very intense spiritual warfare. And let me just say this. Often we say, I'm going through a season of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare fair is not a season. The full armor of God is not seasonal clothing. Every season is the right season. So we're going to go through this continually. But God is enough. Listen to these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord... That is what I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Sisters and brothers, the Lord is your light. The Lord is your salvation. Jesus Christ has overcome every spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places. He is Lord over all. He will deliver you from the evil one. Call on him as you enter into this war and see the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today that you are more than enough. You are more than able. But Lord, I pray that our eyes will indeed be open to see you at work. That Lord, our eyes will be open to know that you are with us, and that, Lord, we don't have to fight this fight in our own strength. Lord, equip your people, empower your people, strengthen your people, and may we be those who take our stand for you to the praise and the glory of our God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we get ready,